Hello, everybody. My name is Polly Hammond, and you are listening to Uncorked, the Italian wine podcast series about all things marketing and communication. Join me each week for candid conversations with experts from within and beyond the wine world as we explore what it takes to build a profitable business in today's constantly shifting environment. Today, we're joined by Jim Morris, Vice President of Guest Relations at Charles Krug, Napa's oldest winery. Jim has made it his mission to remove the pretension of the wine business, leading the way with a cultural program that includes wine, art, food, and history. And he's certainly succeeding with the second consecutive year of unparalleled event scheduling, including the Blue Note Jazz Festival Napa Valley. Let's get into it. Jim Morris, I finally get to have you on my podcast. Um, so glad that you're here. I have stories about meeting you that I want to share. They're nice stories. Wow. All right. I know. So welcome. Uh, it's, um, it's an honor to be here. Oh, it's, it's so not an honor, but it's sweet of well, you to say that. Yes. I, I, it's, it, the meteoric rise of Polly Hammond through, you know, all five forests and things like that. It's, I, I sometimes feel like, you know, it's it's the five forests, not the meteoric rise, but that's super sweet of you. I think it was mostly just a lot of hard work. And in fact, that is a lovely segue into the story I want to tell, which is when I first started um, being public with my business. Cause it took me about two years to have the nerve to do that. You were one of the first people that I encountered on social media and you were sweet and welcoming and you were warm. And, uh, and I was thinking about that when I was doing the bio research for this podcast, because I actually have a quote, um, that came up in the research where you say, this is about your role at Charles Krug. My goal is to create a memorable wine experience for everyone who visits us. And we have an obligation. So at Charles Krug, we have an obligation to share our remarkable legacy and lead the way for Napa to become a cultural hub through wine, art, food, and history. And Quote, Jim insists that it is his mission to remove the pretension of the wine business. So I'm really wow, happy said, to have you here. You said that. I know. You said all that? Wow. Yeah. I'm smarter than I look. But you know what? It's it's just one of these things that I just remember, like I was getting started in a new business, trying to find my feet. And this was years ago. And it would have been something, you know, probably not memorable on your end at all. But for me, there was someone who was super sweet. And also because, you know, you have it in the wine industry for a good long time. You know, you've worked for a lot of good names. So, um, so thank you. See, these things really do matter. It's funny because my social media journey has been an interesting one because I truly feel like I've made some of my deepest, closest friends and connections through people I've never met before. And because I think you have to say, you know, back in the old days when you had 140 characters to say something of great import, you know, to, you know, get your point across, it's like you really got a true read on what people were like in, in their 140 characters. And that you can, really gauge the level of what they do or what they're doing, how they're doing it. And 
I, I don't know. I just I've met people around the world now that you know that I have befriended digitally, mm. and and it's I f- almost feel like those connections are much more than some that I've made over a lifetime. Yeah. And, and so I said, I knew that Gen X was going to come up uh, and there it is right there. I do think that that is something that we all, our generation did so well, right? You know, like we were early and so let's see, internet, end of my university years for the most part. So as a young adult, as a young married person, as a parent, like we went through all of these life journeys and we didn't have the skepticism that our own children have, like they know better than, and they live in a world of trolling and catfishing and shitty social media and everything else. But we kind of had the nice years of the internet where you had AOL messenger and you were learning about things all over the world. Um, So I still have my MySpace page and my, you know, when, when Elon Musk buys Twitter, you know, that might be worth something again. (laughs) <laughs> you never know. You I, never still know. Even have, I have my original AOL account. That's my throwaway account that I always sign up. Jim Morris at AOL.com. It's like. You were all going to spam you now. Oh, that's fine. I don't ever look at it anymore. And I have several hundred thousand emails waiting to be open and read. Very and important. God, God bless AOL servers or whoever owns it now. So we're like the, the the original early adopters. I think that we've done well as a generation. Um, and this is one thing that I've noticed because you are super on social media. Uh, and that has meant that the brand has also been, you know, up to speed. Like there was never sort of this feeling of lagging behind. And what I do remember, because we interviewed you early in the Real Business of Wine series, like right when the world had started to shut down. And And, and Robert. Yeah, Robert and I. And you had just implemented or you were in the process of switching over an events program into a virtual events program. And Mm -hmm. you guys did some interesting things. Like you didn't do sort of the typical virtual events styles like you comedy nights and stuff right we uh, we again trying to think differently because all of a sudden it was like okay how we can't welcome people to the winery how do we bring the winery to the people and it's like well we have this really uh popular comedy series we had we did a lot of food and wine related stuff and you know the as weird as it sounds I think the last two years have been transformational to the wine business and we've learned different ways to connect with people. And, you know, we had no idea what the hell we were doing. I mean, we just went, okay, let's go to Facebook live. Cause that seems like the place where if we just invite everybody to come and listen to us talk and drink wine, that they'll have a great time. And, you know, we did like eight, different episodes of you know live from charles krug we didn't sell a single bottle of wine you know we would even even one got cheesy and held up signs says please buy more wine you know just really and and it was like it didn't work it's like i had really cool events with the madavi family sitting in grandpa's house talking about old times of gathering 
And it, while it was really lovely and fun, it wasn't resulting in wine sales. So, you know, and then we just kind of evolved into different things. It's like, so what are people still hungry for? Um, one of the weird niches that we jumped into was a dating site. Um, no. So we there was something called Events and Adventures. And I had heard an ad prior to the pandemic on um, on the radio. And it was like, okay, well, now they, and they, they guaranteed that they had an activity every day in the city that the franchise was located for people to gather, you know, and meet other singles, like-minded singles. So all of a sudden, those all dried up. So I said, well, let's do a wine tasting for them. Let's ship all these people a couple bottles of wine, and we'll just have, you know, 20 single women and 20 single guys, and and we'll just all meet and gather and and talk about wine and talk about history. And so we ended up doing one of six, seven of those. And it was, yeah, the, my, my favorite one was this guy in, in Houston. And it was like five guys and 20 women. And he was like, so this guy was so pretentious and so crazy. So wanted to show off his serious wine knowledge. Mm. And so I, I just said, you know, Ralph, I'm just I'm getting I'm getting a lot of hints of pretension and and a little bit of angst and a lot of pity and and some self doubt and and every all the women just started busting up and it was just kind of like my way. Oh, of, poor guy! Because you're losing all these these nice ladies and so I don't. Know, we just we did different things and we. Did we tried our continuing our comedy shows? Um, the comedians, it was so hard. The first comedy show we did, we made we muted everybody. That's a mistake because comedians, comedians. yeah. Feedback. I had like a comedian in New York, I had a comedian in LA for a you know a couple different months, and we finally unmuted the third one. And they finally got feedback, which was fun, but People still did a lot of talking in between. And, and we eventually just, people didn't buy as much wine as we had hoped. And we still, I still wanted to pay the performers and the people behind booking him. So it was like, there wasn't making money, but we tried something fun. Yeah. Yeah. And so tried, I, did anything yeah. stick? Like, were there things that, that you took out of all those virtual events that you're like, you know what, we're not going to do all of them anymore. But once the doors open, we're still doing these virtual I, events. So my former tasting room manager, who had nobody to manage because we were closed, and my former events manager, who was also didn't have any work to do, still to this day remain my experiences producers. And we still do three to four virtual tastings a week uh, for corporate clients. Um, I was just sharing this with the BAPs I just had here that we we connected with a couple of financial services companies that they instead of flying into your hometown and renting a space uh, at the Hyatt Regency you know ballroom to have a hundred people come in and listen to your financial services seminar, mm. it's much cheaper to send them each two or three bottles of wine have a little informal wine tasting for 20 to 30 people uh, to hear like a 10 to 15 minute financial pitch at the beginning 
wine tasting in the middle, a little bit of financial, you know, planning why you should contact us. They they close more business as as a result of these tastings than they ever did with the hotels. Wow. And, and so I have two financial services companies that, and I no longer discount our wines. I hope they're not listening. Uh, yeah, the we pay they they charge that we charge full price and sure. we add for a, a performance fee for my staff. So now it's a very lucrative part of our business, and you know so we do that and we do in-home tastings. Um, we were doing a lot of reunions, like family reunions. They couldn't travel. So let's ship a bottle, you know, three bottles of wine to all your family members all over the country. We'll arrange the Zoom and we'll have a family reunion drinking wine. Yeah. So now that evolved into home. We'll fly to your town and we'll bring the wine and we do home in-home tastings with their basically wine Tupperware parties. So did you have and to get ambassadors? Like, do you, do your staff people, members actually go or do you have satellite no, ambassadors? Oh, that's no, they, really interesting. Yeah. So that channel alone, I think that could, and so that evolved out of the virtual world as well. So now we'll fly. So my, my guys are getting ready to go to Kansas city for three days, where they've rented the ballroom or the penthouse suite of a big hotel in Kansas city. Where we're having 40 people that have all paid $150 per person to come and taste our wines and purchase our wines. Wow. <laughs> and the wine, the event is paid for itself before we leave. So, so you know what, what I think here is something that we forget. So people who maybe don't spend a lot of time, mired in American shipping regulations for alcohol companies, you know, what happened, one of the big changes during the pandemic is that if you were a winery, you could ship all over the country. Whereas mm -hmm. if you were a retailer, you were restricted to those sort of 14 or yeah. 15 states. So something like this became a really good opportunity for wineries who before that perhaps have been hindered because of distribution, retail relationships. Well, you were the only ones who could actually ship all yeah. over the nation during COVID. And, and that was, I think that that's something maybe we don't talk about so much of how the ability for wineries to ship was one of the things that made such a big difference for us over, say, you know, the other arms of selling alcohol in the States. Yeah. But I digress. I actually, so I, I want to talk about these events because um, one of the reasons I really wanted to get you on was when I saw the article about Dave Chappelle hosting the Blue Note Napa Jazz Festival. Mm -hmm. This is not the kind of news that we see coming out of wineries, you know, Dave mm -hmm. Chappelle. And, and I, I was looking at the list of performers. And again, another reason that I knew Gen X was going to come up, you know, you've got George Clinton. You are, yeah. George, yeah, George Clinton. Yes. Yeah. I had, uh, Clinton just flashback. Um, you know, you've got all of these names that I'm like performing at a winery. We've all grown up. So you did this in 2021. You're doing it again this year. 
he just talked to me a little bit about how Napa's oldest winery ends up with Dave Chappelle hosting a jazz festival. Um, I'm going to go back to where this started. So um, in, in one of the things that when I was, I was hired here four plus years ago um, uh, by a person, by my old boss, Judd Wallenbrock, who was at a previous winery that I worked with um, in Sonoma County at Michelle Slumberger. And one of the things that he helped us define as a company um, and as a winery is like, what do we want to be? And it's like, and that's where the, the whole cultural hub of Napa Valley came into play. It's like, you know, we, we want to be considered among the, one of the world's great family owned wine estates. And we want to become this cultural hub of Napa Valley through, you know, the food, through food, wine, arts, and events. And, and events mean a lot of different things. It means, you know, the first thing I did when I got here was we started comedy shows because I knew a comedy producer. And it was just, it started off literally 20 feet from where I'm, you know, sitting right now. And it was this upstairs loft area. And we had 45 people for our first night. And, and it was just a super cool vibe. And it was like, okay, this is an event unlike anything the Swiner's ever seen. And then it began to, those became monthly. And then it kind of grew from there. And, um, and Judd had a relationship with the guy that uh, owns the Blue Note uh, Napa, mm-hmm. uh, which is also part of Blue Note New York and, and around the world. They're a pretty well-known brand. And so during COVID, they had to shut down their Napa uh, location. Uh, but our winery presented a, an amazing opportunity where we have this beautiful outdoor space. We have a couple of Because you have a outdoor. huge space. I mean, like we do. Huge, it's a pretty huge significant, yeah. you know, size property. So, um, and we're also unique that uh, we're grandfathered into a lot of uh, a lot of things. So I can do events that most wineries cannot. Um, wow. So it's like utilizing the asset that we have here in the best way possible, and it's getting people. In, we used to joke and say my job was getting people to make a right-hand turn down our driveway off Highway 29 on their way to other properties more popular than us to the north. So I said, how do we do that? So, you know, so this partnership with the Blue Note was announced. Um, we actually brought in the, the Napa Valley Health the Commissioner, like, saw the whole plan. She blessed it. She says, this is, this is a perfect scenario it was outdoors you know so we had 150 two top tables spread 10 feet apart and you know the staff and everybody was masked but it was outdoors and so we had 300 to 400 people per show and for most of these performers it was their first or their only performance of 2021 that you know we had kenny g for six shows that's incredible 300 people and it was like it, it, everybody was so happy to be together and to be, you know, at, back as a community. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it certainly helped wine sales. It even helped a couple restaurants that we partnered with to serve food. Um, you know, so it was kind of this rising tide thing. And so we did 
2021, we did 72 shows. Um, so, but it wasn't just it wasn't just Blue Note, or were those all Blue all Note? Blue Note. So those were all Blue we Note. Became, we became the venue, and Blue Note became the you know the, the executor of all the the shows. So then this year, fast forward to this year, the idea of a jazz festival was was floated, and Blue Note had been wanted to, wanting to do something like this, and so they came back to us and said, "We have this great idea." It's a big use of your property, but, you know, we, we think that we can do this. And so they put together this masterful lineup um, that just, one, you know, once, you know, Chappelle, Chappelle's, uh, he supports Robert Glasper, who is, you know, one of the more famous jazz musicians out there right now. And, and so Robert Glasper is actually the artist in residence for this jazz festival. So it really is his, and then he brought in a lot of the talent. So, uh, you know, from Maxwell to Erica Badu to, um, you know. I I know, I'm looking at the list. It's just just phenomenal. But it's also so interesting to me because these are not, you know, this is not what so much of the world thinks of when they think about events. Uh, wineries yeah. and, you know so you've got the festival but you also have a whole summer season yeah so of, we have of performers so, and because i have this amazing property i mean i can uh, one of my favorite stories is last year i had to tell kenny g to turn his music down because i had a wedding for 400 on the other side of the property and i literally and was like, the wedding complaining they were uh, like yeah kenny g played well, the music he, for our wedding they really cranked the amperage because we'd never had that sound bleed before. And for whatever reason, it was so loud that night that it was disrupting part of the service. And so they, you know, my what manager a great was running it. story, to, though. To, really? To, can, you, can you tell somebody that, to turn it down a little bit? And, which they did. And, you know, it was fine. Yeah. Because one of the speakers literally had been kind of turned differently. Um, so, but it, but it, because of the size of the property, I even have parking for that many people. So, like five hundred at the concert and four hundred at the wedding, I have an amazing space to, to park people. So, um, do you have so to have like a little tram? Like, how do you accommodate that much parking? You know, it's a lovely walk across our property. So okay, all right. It's no more than you know how you would park at a stadium or something. But, um, but it's, so this is. You know, just just quick interruption on this. This is something that we go through with brands um, when we're kind of getting into their offer and their positioning is that it's always this dig deep and figure out what your unfair advantage is. So like every brand has something that is an unfair advantage, whether it's, you know, the location, the parking, whether it's that you've got a nephew who is a world-renowned artist or whatever it is like we all have these offerings, you know, capabilities, friends sometime. Yeah. And actually just saying, okay, this is my unfair advantage. And now what the hell do we do with it? Um, So, so you've got this, you've got the event going, but you've got this through the entire summer. So from May 20th, Jeffrey Osborne's the first uh, performer uh, through the end of September. Um, we have that, but on top of it all, we, we do. A, there's a bunch of other things we're doing. Like 
We're home to yeah. Festival Map. Tell me about Festival that. Napa Valley. Um, it's it's literally the largest fundraiser in Napa Valley. The, I, I believe that they, they have there. I I want to say I might be off a little bit, but there have they have performances at eighty different venues in Napa Valley over a ten day, eleven day period. Um, so go to and Festival what's it a Napa fundraiser Valley. for? So for they they have about a dozen to fifteen different uh, charitable organizations, all located here in Napa Valley, that they fund either entirely or this is their complete. You know, their focus is you know art programs, serving underserved communities, um, wow, you know, health clinics. Um, so it's a so win-win. It's a, I mean, it's, it's a completely great yeah. thing, and and the ticket prices are. They're like 15 bucks um, to come and see like the Vienna Philharmonic or Jennifer Hudson or the Robert Bollet dance troupe, uh, you know, some of some of the world's greatest you know, uh, opera singers, uh, ballet performers, symphonies are all in Napa for this. And I get to host eight days worth of. So um, how do you I, I'm just so curious, someone like a, a ballet company. How mm-hmm. do you make that happen? Like, you know, like what what does that involve in terms of logistics and setup and relationships and partnerships? Because again, not what we tend to think of when we think wine event. It's it, it requires the right the right people running the the operations. The festival Napa Valley folks have been doing this for years, okay. and and so they have the stage builders, they have the, you know, the behind the scenes people, they have the logistics people, you know, there, there is. So you guys don't have to take that on board. So this is really about wise partnerships. We're a venue. We're a magnificent venue with great wines. And so ultimately there's, there's gotta be a wine tie in here. So I, I, we, we sell wine to patrons uh, during this event. Um, you know, for the Blue Note, we, you know, Blue Note buys wine from us and we sell, sure. you know, they sell it to Patreon. It's just, but it has, it has to benefit us. This We're not, we're not a charitable organization and to put our staff and our team through these paces, it, it had better make financial sense or, you know, we're not, resp- we're not fiscally responsible ourselves. So, well, okay. You brought it up. We work in wine. Let's talk yeah. about this, the money side of things. I think that um, I think that sometimes, as anyone who's listened to me talk knows, wine can have kind of poor sense around sense, around how we how we spend our money, how we forecast it. I've, I've seen brands who something looks like a great idea, they <laughs> plow forward with it, but they, you know, maybe some of the underpinnings, the business acumen wasn't there. So you have a structure, you have a financial structure for sort of how these events have to work, right? Like this is part mm-hmm. of your business model. Yes. Yeah. It, um, there are ways to be altruistic and to, to help organizations that can't afford to rent our property or which we do. And it's been, it's been, a, we've had real conversations with a lot of our charitable partners because um, it, it's expensive to run 
this business, no matter if you're a big or a small winery, it's just magnified. This is an intense, capital intensive business and people are expensive and barrels are expensive and farming is expensive. And this is, and this California is, the, is expensive. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's not for the faint of heart or the light of wallet. I mean, it's mm -hmm. like you, you need to have the resources to do this. So the idea in some of these conversations I've had with charitable partners were in the past, we would completely donate everything. Um, but we would say, let's get creative and find a way that we can at least cover our costs. And, you know, whether that is a special offer to your to your database, whether that is, you know, uh, you know, some some sort of the ability to market to your to your guests, your clientele, or you know through wine sales or something like that. But it's like I, I just the day of give the days of giving stuff away, people don't value free. Yeah, and and we and get it, asked for a lot of free stuff in wine. Oh, absolutely, people love free wine. Yeah, yeah, and it's of course, it, but do they value it as much as you know? as they could or should. And that's, that's the important thing to me. It's like, you've got to, you have to value what's being given to you. And so it's, so people are understanding if you talk frankly and candidly to people, then you're just clear. You know, it, I had a really interesting conversation with, with my staff this morning about just this, that um, for the first time in a long time, we're charging for our wine club parties. And really? your pickup parties. Yeah. And, wow. and, you know, I, we have a fairly substantial wine club and we're getting a fair bit of pushback from this because people have been enjoying these things for, for free for years. And it was, you know, the conversations all centered around, all right, how much money do we want to lose on this wine club event? Um, you know, versus, yeah you know, the lifetime value of these customers certainly comes into play and it comes into the mix, but it's like, it's, it's just crazy expensive to do, do things these days. If you can find people, if you can, you know, so it's like. And everything want, is just getting more expensive. I mean, like this yeah. is the thing that we're seeing between costs, labor, shipping, supplies. Like I don't know any, any of my clients right now who aren't dealing with increases in their costs. No. And I mean, I can't understand it. You know, I am also a consumer, but that trickles down to all of us. And you have the moment when you're like, well, everything that I pay for is becoming more and more expensive. But I think, you know, as someone who preaches about our issues of the business model and pricing in wine, that notion that we actually price correctly and that we have models of brands who are pricing correctly and can, you know, this is a space where bigger, more established wineries can help sway the whole, the whole expectation, the whole industry, because if it's happening from the top down, then consumers start to have a different expectation of what the, what the value promise is. It's not about a commodity, right? It's about, okay, you may pay for it, but what you're going to get by paying for it is superlative. Anyway, 
back to it because I do want to talk about your events. So you've got the, um, you have a few cultural things. Are you able to talk about some of the kind of unusual cultural things that you have happening on site? Uh, I don't know what's been published or what's still embargoed. So that's why I'm being cagey with you. Yeah, I don't know. So um, it, we're still working on, to finalize um, a, a, an event that we w- we're hoping to do this year. Um, it, it, there was there's a group of they want they prefer to be called Chicano artists, and these young artists um, have an organization called Beyond the Label, and what it is is this group of uh, there's there's three young men that are have put this whole thing together. They're and they have their day jobs are like they're graphic artists, they're a mechanic, and you know they're they're laborers that you know, but they're amazingly talented artists uh, that is tied into a whole uh, you know Latin community of artists. So we want to give them our winery to let them have their have their uh, festival here. That's and amazing. So we're, we're yeah, so it's like, and they just said, well, you know, how, how much is it? It's, we're, we're not going to charge for this. In fact, we're, yeah. we're just, this is like one of those right doing the right thing sort of things. That well, this is why you do charge for the other things so that when there's well, the mean, moment. Of, yeah. So this is part of being the cultural hub because, uh, you know, frankly, without the Latin uh, community, it's like none of these wineries exist. It, no. They just don't. And so... And it's, and also, I, I think that it's just, I mean, we can talk about it in political context. We can talk about it in doing the right thing. But also, it's interesting. It's creative. It's different from what every other, you know, winery is thinking that they, they might be doing. So it does really set apart. I, um, I have a question about how are you seeing that this is changing your audience? Are you seeing that people are coming back and remembering you because you've done something that's just so profoundly different from, you know, maybe what we're seeing in a lot of American wine brands? You know, I'd like to think so. I mean, I I definitely am seeing a lot of, you know, a a very diverse group coming through here now. And, um, you know, even going back to the comedy days when we were we hosted the LGBTQ um, comedy festival. I we hosted the first um, Asian comedy festival. Um, right. Just different. It's like I just want people on the property. It, it's like I want people to see what a special place this is, and then you know, oh, just make it approachable. Back to the earlier statement about the pretension in the wine business. You know, uh, Elizabeth and I laugh about this all the time. But when I first started in this business, I hated the pretension. Um, to this day, I still don't use adjectives. I hate adjectives in talking about wine, and I tend to like not. Th- we need a T-shirt. I'll, you know, no adjectives when talking about wine. Like that right there says so much. Yeah, because I, I literally, it's like I don't want people to taste. It's like you're going to get hints of blueberry and blackberry mm-hmm. and cranberry and you know molasses and and then they taste it and they don't get it and they go oh god I suck at wine tasting and I don't want them I'm to I'm going to go have it. a beer now cuz it's just so Yeah. So I and I always tell I break it down for Elizabeth that this has been one of my catchphrases for for day one there are two wines made there is yummy and yucky 
that's it. And yeah. if it's on the yucky spectrum, it's like, you know what? Do some research, find a really good wine pairing with that, you know, a food pairing. There are lots with that of ways wine. to make it yummy. Or it's sometimes a, it might just always be yucky. You know, it's yeah, okay. And, there are yucky wines. And I'll, and I'll even tell people, it's like, you want to put a, an ice cube in your Chardonnay? Go ahead and do that. Yeah. You know, if you want to drink, you know, spritzy Moscato, God bless you. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that's the gateway wine. <laughs> so one of the things that I remember about Charles Krug, now this, um, correct me if I'm wrong, you guys were always pretty family friendly, right? Still to this day, it's like family-owned winery. Playground? Was there a playground? Do I, I vaguely grassy, remember that? A grassy knoll, as we a like to say. A grassy knoll. That's what so it was. We have, we have a really nice cabana area out uh, outside that has cabanas. We're dog-friendly. We're kid-friendly, family-friendly. Um, and it's like, you know, and people are respectful of, of other people's space. And... Well, you know, that was we going to be my next question is, do you ever get any pushback when people are like, I don't yeah. come to a winery to be around this, you know? Occasionally. Um, but not as much as. Yeah. It's like, you know, you know I view it as, you know, it's like wine is a social beverage. And, you know, we come together as a community to enjoy great wine and great spaces. And it's like, let's just treat everybody like family and community. And, and if you want a really high end, Tasty, I have a really beautiful library room that I can sit down and do a formal, you know, tasting and I'll use adjectives until I'm blue in the face and talk about terroir and soil types and clonal, clonal varieties. And are there you know, pictures of hands holding grapes on the wall? Cause you know, no, if there's no. not, we got to get them in that room. Really? No, I do um, have like old vines hanging from the wall, but so in terms of the ongoing marketing, because I'm, I'm just looking at this, you know, I put on my marketer hat, I can't not do it. And I think to myself, okay, you've got all of these events. If I, I would be saying, how do we get all of these people into social media, into databases, into sort of that, that follow on process? Is this something where your team had to like strategically sit down and think about what the customer journey looked like? Or was it much more organic when you're like, okay, let's see how this plays out? Um, great question. Um, social, social media for our brand um, hasn't had a huge formal structure, you know, until the last few it's years. It's had you. Well, no, it, but it had other, we, we brought on a social media team um, that does our messaging. We still don't put a lot of, as many as much in resources to the Charles Krug brand, you know, as I'd like, but but we're working on that. And okay. you know, I have a couple of other commercial commercial brands that the Simandavi family owns that are very active, you know, in live events or Instagram events or things like that. So they have different. There's a different marketing program in place for them. In my world, it's it's like to me, it's hand to hand combat. I, you know, when I have a group of, you know, I, we, we entertain fifty people a day from the Napa Valley Wine Train, and one of my, you know, it's a great business model. They pay us to bring us customers to buy our wines. Um, it's like that works, but it's like, but how do I get them 
back? How do I get them to join our club? How do I get them to, you know, even just sign up to be, you know, on our database? And we haven't perfected it yet. But I always, but I always say it's like in everything I do, I always go hashtag Charles Cruden. It's like you do. That's true. You are very good about that. And I I think the other thing that I want to say, um, kind of from the sensible marketing side of it is no brand can do everything. I see too many brands who they try to do everything. And the result of it is they kind of do all of it half-assed as opposed to saying, go back to what is the unfair advantage? What can we do really well? And we're putting our eggs in that basket because we know that that works for us. So, um, so I, I think that there's sense in saying, well, social media is going to work really well for some brands. And, you know, it may be events, it may be telemarketing for another brand. Like everyone has a space that because of where they are and what their capabilities are, it's just going to work really well for them. So um, yeah. so for me, I I wouldn't sit here and ever tell you, well, you need to be doing a thousand other marketing things because why? You have a, a, yeah. a great, you know, you've got a great offering. So you've got, um, so you've got the events. I just want to ask some logistical questions because again, I'm super fascinated by this. So your whole 2022 year is like completely planned out. When do you start, when do you start planning for 2023? Oh, we've already got several weddings on the books, uh, jazz festivals on the books. Um, the festival Napa Valley is on the books 23 and beyond. Um, wow. One of the things, if I know it's a recurring event, um, I'm instead of trying to secure year after year after year deals, it's like, you know what, let's do a five year deal and, you know, we'll give you a break on the whole package. That is so, so much like good that, business sense. It, it just, because we can and we have a very desirable place to be, it's like, let's just lock up these dates now and know what we're doing. And know some of the revenue stream that we have coming in. So it's like that part is really important to, you know, begin that process. So I, yeah, I have several recurring events that, you know, they said, yeah, let's do it. Five-year deal. No, it's done deal. And so it's like, it's, you know, again, it's being mindful of the business. And, you know, part of, you know, they hear the word sustainability all the time and, um, one of my favorite people that I've worked with in his business is a guy named Paul Dolan, who he was the original winemaker at Fetzer Vineyards, really was the first organic, true organic winery, you know, back in the 70s. And, but he goes, it's great to be, you know, the organic, it's great to be, but he goes, we also have an obligation to be financially sustainable. Yeah. And, it's like and actually, we have an obligation to our people to be financially sustainable. Like that's oh. something we forget about is that we're employers, we support communities, you know, and we can't do that if we don't have sound practices. Yeah. And so that's another one of those things. It's like we, uh, you know, this was a, to quote a Judd term, it was like, it's the human terroir of our business. So you've given... Um, you've told us so much about how this is run. And I I think that you've already shared an awful lot of lessons, but I will just ask. So, you know, we go out to wineries all over the world with this podcast. If someone's sitting there and they're thinking to themselves, like whether they're in Italy or Bordeaux or Napa or, you know, Minnesota, wherever it is, and they're like, Ooh, we want to do this. You know, what are, what were the couple big screw ups that you never could have foreseen 
What are the, the things to say, here's what you need to know. This is the one thing you have to do. Like what's that little bit of advice that can give them a tiny bit of a leg up? Maybe hopefully not competing with you. No one will have that much parking, um, but maybe pay, pave their yeah. way a little bit. I, I think um, having the right partners is, is imperative. Um, sometimes your skill set isn't in-house. And just because you have an events coordinator doesn't mean that you can do great events. It's like you have great events within that person's capabilities. But if you partner with and align yourself with the right groups and organizations, um, bring in great talent to help you run events or bring in great partners like the Blue Note to bring great events to you or bring people here. Or, you know, bring in, I, I've outsourced all of my events to a company called Milestone Events Group, who runs our events flawlessly. Um, and that right is, there, that is a great lesson, because I think too many brands, whether it's events or something else, they get a, a wild hair and they're like, we'll figure out how to do it ourselves." And we've all been to those events that you're just like, mm. Yeah. fire festival um yeah so that's <laughs> so that that is a brilliant takeaway is hire out for something like events management awesome yeah. awesome yeah it's like bring in best of class in different areas i even my um my pizza program this year we have a, uh, an outdoor pizza oven and we had exactly zero resume submitted for the posted you know pizza chef position that we have that in it's every uh friday saturday and sunday we have a beautiful pizza oven couldn't find a chef and it's not worth hiring a full-time chef so i started looking around and found uh down in napa the the salvation army has a culinary school and so part of this it's these are people in recovery and they mm -hmm. teach them, that's a two-year program where they teach them culinary skills. And I said, I know you're a temperance organization, but would you like to come up and cook pizzas at our winery for, you know, three days that a week? That was ballsy, Jim. And so it was just like, and so now they're showing up on Friday for our first trial run. And and they actually got approval from the national, the national chapter going, yeah, this the reality of the culinary world, they're teaching these people in recovery culinary skills. They're going to be around, you know, alcohol wherever they end up. So it's like how to best do it. So it's like given the right situation and right opportunity, you know, let's do it. And so, you know, so it's, it's you just have to think differently. You have to just you can't just keep trotting out the same old stuff all the time. Do you know what I love about this? I, I did not intend for this to happen as we were going through all of this. I really love the sweet bookending of this because, you know, for me, I started with the story of you were warm and you were welcoming and, you know, kind of expansive in a way where sometimes wine trade can be a little bit more reserved. And 
sort of coming to the end of this, I guess my big takeaway is that a lot of the ways that you and therefore Charles Krug as a winery looked at this was much more expansive. How do we go out into the community and find what we need? You know, how do we open our doors? How do we make it a space where everyone feels welcome? And, and it's, it's such a nice story to hear. I really do hope that people like take away the not it's not so much about the practice of having, you know, Dave Chappelle and and Blue Note in, but it's more about just being really expansive with how you think about what your winery can service in in a space. I mean, there are 500 wineries in Napa plus there's 1100 wineries in a 2-hour driving radius from where I'm sitting. And it's like, how do you, how do you stand out? It's like, it's already daunting enough for first time visitors to go, oh my God, oh my God. And it's like, you know. It's daunting for us. It's daunting for trade. I mean, so yeah, yeah, absolutely. Just take away the barriers to entry, the psychological barriers to entry. Jim, thank you so much. Oh, this has been a, a total a wonderful hour spent and it's like I look forward to someday meeting in person and you know the th- the 3D person and that's a wrap thank you for listening and a very big thank you to Jim Morris for joining me today the Italian wine podcast is among the leading wine podcast in the world and the only one with daily episodes Tune in each day and discover all our different shows. Be sure to join us next Sunday for another look at the world of wine marketing. Hi guys, I'm Joy Livingston and I am the producer of the Italian Wine Podcast. Thank you for listening. We are the only wine podcast that has been doing a daily show since the pandemic began. This is a labor of love and we are committed to bringing you free content every day. Of course, this takes time and effort, not to mention the cost of equipment, production, and editing. We would be grateful for your donations, suggestions, requests, and ideas. For more information on how to get in touch, go to italianwinepodcast.com.